Hi, everyone. This is your 1001 Stories Network host, John Hagedorn. And I want to thank each and every one of you listeners for the support you've given 1001 Stories from the Old West. Kevin Sykes will return in the fall with a bunch of great Old West history. But during the meantime, we'll be running episodes of the old radio show, Tales of the Texas Rangers, which features actual stories from the files of the Texas Rangers from about 1936 through the late 40s. This show did very well from 1950 to 52 on NBC Radio and was successful in transitioning to TV on CBS from 1955 to 1958. I especially enjoy the episodes where they go after him on horseback. That still happens today in rough country where they need to go after fugitives on horseback, keeping America's past alive. It's time for another episode of Tales of the Texas Rangers with Joel McRae. Hope you enjoy it. Broadcasting Company presents Joel McRae in Tales of the Texas Rangers. Tonight, transcribed from Hollywood, another authentic reenactment of a case from the files of the Texas Rangers. of the Texas Rangers, starring Joel McRae as Ranger Jace Pearson. Texas, more than 260,000 square miles, and 50 men who make up the most famous and oldest law enforcement body in North America. From the files of the Texas Rangers come these stories based on fact. Only names, dates, and places are fictitious for obvious reasons. The events themselves are a matter of record. Case for tonight, Sweet Revenge. It is 6.30 p.m. March 13, 1944, at the ranch house of Judd Wilkins. It is raining heavily as Judd and Alva Briggs from a neighboring ranch finish their dinner. Yeah, rain sure coming down, Judd. Yeah. You're welcome to stay the night here if you want to, Alva. Oh, no, no, no thanks. I gotta get back to my own place tonight. Told the kid who's been doing my chores over there for the last three days I'd meet him in the morning to pay him. I sure appreciate you helping me and Billings vaccinate the cattle. I'm planning on doing the same for you at your place when you're ready. I'll be ready in a couple of days, I reckon. Hey, a wind must have blown open the door. Hello, Judd. Blake. Yeah. Hello, Alva. Yeah. Well, you don't seem none too happy to see me either, Judd. Well, no, it's just a... That's a big surprise you popping up this way after two years, boy. Of course, I'm glad to see you. You're my brother, ain't you? Oh, yeah, Alva. Where's Kelly? What? You heard me, Blake. Where's my daughter? Well, didn't you hear? Hear what? Kelly and me. We split up, Alva. Split up? Yeah, in Dallas. I thought you knew. You you get her to run away with you, and then when you're through with her, you toss her to one side. No, Alva, no. That, that ain't true. That ain't the way of it. Why, you... you... Alva, let go of me. You, I, cut it out. Alva, cut it out. Take your hands off, Blake. Stop it now. Blake Wilkins, if you wasn't your pa's boy... Alva, you've got to listen to me. Just just stay away from me from now on, Blake. Stay away or I'll... Judd? Yeah? 
How come Alva didn't know about Callie and me? Well, you see, Blake... I can understand Callie not wanting to write Alva about it, but I wrote here to Pa right after we split up. I told him the whole story in that letter. Callie was just using me to get away from home. She, she left me as soon as she found somebody else who could do her more good. I told all that in my letter to Pa. He and Alva was friends and neighbors. Now, how come Alva didn't know? Pa died last month, Blake. Yeah, I know. That's why I come home, Judd. I ran into a fellow in Lubbock the other day who told me. But Pa wasn't dead when I wrote that letter. I told him I was sorry about everything, that I wanted to come back home if he wanted me to. But I never heard from him, Judd. Why not? Blake, you're making me say something I don't want to say. Even though you and I are only half-brothers, I've always felt toward you like What are you getting at, Judd? Well, hearing about you and Callie splitting up just now makes me feel pretty bad. It was part my fault. You mean because you encouraged me to run away with her? Yeah. You come to me asking advice. I told you on the QT I figured you had a right to your own life, but I sure didn't know it was going to turn Pa against you like it did. Turn him against me? Judd, I want to know what happened to that letter that I wrote Pa. All right, Blake. Pa wouldn't even open your letter. Just threw it away. He what? Said he never wanted to see you or hear from you again. Well, Judd, that just doesn't sound like Pa. He just wouldn't say a thing like that about me. I know, boy. It's hard to believe. You and he always used to be so close. Of course, he was his own son. I wasn't, so it was natural for things to Judd, be that way. Judd, are you way, sure but... that Pa got my letter? Why, of course. I just told you, Blake. All right. All right. What did Pa say in his will? Well, now... Everything's taken care of, Blake. I want to know how it's taken care of, Judd. Uh, Will's in town. And go in as soon as we can. I'll show it to you. You got a pleasant surprise coming, kid. You know, it's sure going to be good having you home. You come at a good time, too. We need another hand here. And I'm not sure Al will ever be back to help after tonight. But having you back again, everything's going to be fine from now on. I'm not so sure. What do you mean? Alva, the way he feels about me. I don't like things like that. Oh, well, don't you worry about Alvin on Blake. He get over it. You know, I think I'll take a horse and ride across to Alvin's place. Tonight? Yeah. See if I can get things straightened out with him. Afterwards, I could stay on at the shack the rest of the night. It's about halfway. That way, I'd be out there to lend you a hand in the morning. Is there bedding and food out at the shack? Yeah, yeah. Plenty of it. Okay, Blake, if you want to go. But if Alvin don't listen to reason, don't you argue with him. And don't be afraid of him. He won't harm you as long as I'm alive and kicking Yes, sir, Blake. I'll take care of you from now on. The next morning, Tom Billings, a ranch hand, rode out to the isolated shack on the Wilkins Ranch. He discovered the dead body of Blake Wilkins lying in front of the open doorway. Sheriff Hedges was immediately notified and requested help from the Texas Rangers. Ranger Jace Pearson was assigned to the case. Chase. Howdy, Sheriff. Whoa, whoa, charcoal. Any trouble getting out here? No. Pretty heavy going, though. Must have been some rain last night. Uh, good thing you didn't try to come out in your car. You'd have been hub deep in mud halfway. Yeah, that's what I figured. Uh, I've already talked to the half-brother Judd back at the ranch house. He's pretty broken up. But I figured you'd want to look at the scene of the shooting before you did any questioning. Yeah. You find anything, Sheriff? Yeah, a couple of things. They left the body right where it was, though. Medical examiner's on his way out. Whose horse is that in the corral? I figure it's the one Blake Wilkins rode out here last night. Followed the tracks out here, just one set of them. Hmm. Any footprints around? No, couldn't see any. A lot of gravel, rocks around. Yeah. Okay, let's take a look at the body. Hmm. Lying in front of the open door. 
bullet ended over the right eye. Rain must have washed some of the blood away. Mm. Bullet came out the back of the head, higher up. That means it was traveling in an upward angle. Yeah, that's right, Jase. Went clear through him and then carried through the shack. Come on inside, I'll show you. You got the bullet here in my pocket. We found it out back. Here it is. What's left of it? Huh? Smashed up. I'm afraid it won't help us any. You take a look at the roof, Jase. Back wall over that shelf of provisions. Yeah. It's a bullet hole, all right. Let's go back outside. I'd say Blake was just about your height, Sheriff. Looks like. I want you to stand here beside the body and hold your hand out of the level of your forehead. My forehead? Yeah. That'll represent the approximate height of the bullet when it hit Blake. Yeah, that's it. What are you backing up for, Chase? I'm sidelong your hand on the bullet hole in the roof. I get it. You're trying to figure out where that shot was fired from. Yeah. And it's leading me straight to this old watering trough. Okay, Sheriff. You can take your hand down. You figure the killer was hiding behind the watering trough when he shot Blake? Behind it or in it. Bottom of the trough split. It doesn't hold any water. Don't see any footprints around. Whoever it was could have walked on this gravel and rocks over to that gully there. And there's water in the bottom of the gully. Well, however he did it, he sure covered his tracks. Mm. Guess Blake must have heard a noise outside the shack, come outside and got shot. Yeah. But I'm wondering what Blake was doing out here at this shack in the first place. Search me. Didn't even know Blake had come home till I got the report of the shooting this morning. About two years ago, he and Callie Briggs from the next ranch over ran off to get married. According to Judd, Blake returned home just last night. And made a beeline out to this shack in the rain? Uh, does seem a little peculiar. Come on, let's ride back to the ranch house and see if Blake's half-brother can throw any light on the matter. <laughs> No doubt about it, Jace. That horse at the shack is the one Blake rode out there last night. We backtracked the hoof marks all the way here to the ranch house. Yeah, just one set of prints, all right. Well, we thought it was heavy going for our horses this morning. Must have been a lot worse last night from the way those hoof marks of Blake sank down in the mud. Yeah, I noticed that. Is that the half-brother on the back porch? Yeah, that's Judd Wilkins. Hey, Sheriff. Oh, boy. Oh, Judd. This is Ranger Pearson, Judd. He's in charge of the investigation of your brother's murder. Huh? Well, got any line on the killer so far, Ranger? Not much yet. As I understand it, Judd, your brother's been away from home about two years. That's right. When did he get back? Walked in last night at supper time, about 6.30, I guess. Albert Briggs can verify the time for you. He's having supper with me. Any reason the time of Blake's return home should need verifying, Judd? Huh? No, no. I just, I just figure you want all the facts straight, Ranger. Yeah, what happened when Blake walked in? Well, right after Blake walked in, Alva walked out. Oh? Why? When Blake told us he and Callie had split up. Seems Alva didn't know anything about it. Neither did I, as a matter of fact. But Alva, being Callie's paw, took it pretty hard. Seemed to hold it against Blake. I guess he thought it was all Blake's fault. Matter of fact, I had to pull him away from Blake's throat. I see. Of course, the way Blake explained it to me later, it wasn't his fault at all. But Alva didn't wait for any explanation. How'd you feel about Blake coming home, Judd? Well, I reckon the way any brother'd feel. I told him I was glad he's back. It'd be good to have him help me with the ranch. Judd, there's one thing that's bothering me. Maybe you can throw a little light on it. Yeah, what is it, Ranger? How come your brother went out to that line shack the first night he got home? Well, I decided to ride over to Alva's and try to straighten things out with him. He said he'd stay at the shack the rest of the night so as he could give us a hand with the rest of the vaccinations first thing in the morning, so off he rode. I see. What time was that? Mm, around 7.30, I guess. 
What did you do after that? Me? Yeah. Well, let's see now. Around nine, I sent for my, my ranch hand, Tom Billings. Told him about Blake being back and also had him help me check some tally sheets. I'd say that was about 10.30 when we got through. Tom went on back to the bunkhouse? That's right, sure. And you? I turned in. You didn't leave the ranch house? Me? Why, no. Are you sure about that? Of course I'm sure. What are you getting at, Ranger? I'm just trying to get at the truth, Wilkins. Now, wait a minute. You thinking maybe I killed Blake? I'm not thinking anything right now. I'm just asking questions. I don't like the kind of questions you're asking. Think I'd kill my own brother in cold blood? Take it easy, Judd. Look, Ranger. You know who discovered Blake's body? Tom Billings, my own ranch hand. You know how he happened to ride out there this morning? Because I told him to. I wanted to meet Blake and start to work. Now, would I kill Blake and then go out of my way to make sure his body would be discovered? It'd be pretty stupid, wouldn't it? Well, Judd... I'll go along with you far enough to say a stupid man wouldn't have done that. Nah, I didn't kill Blake. Then you got nothing to worry about. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Sorry I lost my temper, Ranger. It's just that... You know, a thing like this hits you pretty hard. Yeah, sure. Where can I find this ranch hand of yours, Tom Billings? He's waiting for you down at the bunkhouse. I told him to stick around in case you wanted to question him, Jason. Good. Let's have a talk with him, Sheriff. Whoever that skunk is, Ranger, I sure hope you get it. Thanks. What do you think, Jase? About Judd Wilkins? Yeah. I don't know, Sheriff. Tells a pretty straightforward story, but listening to it, I somehow got the idea it was a little too straightforward. Almost like he might have been rehearsing it. Yeah. Sounded like that to me, too. Well, we'll check up on as much of his story as we can from Tom Billings. Here's the bunkhouse. Come on in. Howdy. Tom Billings? That's right, Ranger. I've been waiting for you. And Pat's an old pair of jeans. Janged if I'm much of a seamstress, though. Oh, I don't know. Seems to me I've seen worse-looking patches than that. Billings, you're the one who discovered Blake Wilkins' body this morning, aren't you? Yeah. Almost lost my breakfast. Pretty bad sight. Who told you to ride out that way? Judd. He wanted me to meet Blake and get started with the vaccinations again. Check so far, Jason. Yeah. How about last night, Billings? Judd says he called you up to the ranch house. Yeah, he did. Wanted to tell me about Blake being back and have me help him check some tally sheets. What time did you go up? Right around 9 o'clock. And what time did you come back here? Oh, about a quarter till 11. The rain had just stopped. I come back here to the bunkhouse and turned in. And then this morning you rode out to the line shack? That's right, Ranger. Okay. I guess that'll be all, Billings. Come on, Sheriff. Well, one thing's sure, Jase. Judd's time last night is accounted for from nine till about quarter to eleven. Yeah. Of course, we don't know how much that means until they've completed the autopsy and can tell us the time of death. Yeah. You know, there's another angle to this case that could probably stand looking into. I know what you're going to say, Sheriff. Alva Briggs. Yeah. According to Judd, Alva was pretty mad at Blake last night when he found out Blake and Callie had split up. We're going to look into that angle right now, Sheriff. Let's take a run over to the Briggs Ranch and have a talk with Alva. See if we can find out just how mad he was at Blake Wilkins. You are listening to Tales of the Texas Rangers, starring Joel McRae as Ranger Jace Pearson. We continue now with tonight's case, Sweet Revenge, 
an authentic story from the files of the Texas Rangers. We drove over to Alva Briggs Ranch. We could see from a distance that his car wasn't in the shed. Then as we got closer, we noticed a kid sitting on the front porch. Hmm. Who's that kid over there? Don't know, Chase. Morning. Looking for Alva Briggs. Oh, I thought I'm looking for Senor Briggs, Sheriff. Now, what do you mean? Well, he's nowhere around. He told me to be here this morning and that he would pay me for feeding his chickens and horses. So I come this morning like he told me. I wait, but he don't come. Chase. Yeah. Looks like Alva Briggs got called away all of a sudden. I'm going to put out an all-points-wanted bulletin on him right now. <laughs> Checking in town, I learned that Alva Briggs had caught the Dallas bus that morning. I notified Company B. Four hours later, Briggs was picked up at the Continental Trailways Depot in Dallas by Ranger C.B. Wade, who brought him back to Sheriff Hedge's office. After a brief talk with Ranger Wade out in the hall, I came back into the room. I'd like to know the meaning of this, Ranger. We'd like to know why you suddenly decided to take a trip, Mr. Briggs. I reckon that's my business. You're wrong about that. It's our business, too. Well, it looks right now, you get mad at Blake Wilkins, he turns up dead, and you leave town. But I didn't even know about Blake being killed till that other ranger picked me up getting off the bus in Dallas. I still want to know why you took off from your ranch this morning. All right. Last night, Blake told me he and my daughter Callie had split up in Dallas. It come as a bad shock. So this morning, I decided to head for Dallas, see if I could locate Callie and find out what happened. Get her to come back home with me if she would. I see. You left the Wilkins Ranch about 6.30 last night. Mm, that's right. Where'd you go? Home. You stay home the rest of the night? Yeah. Any way of proving that, Alva? Uh, I guess not. I live alone. Ranger, I didn't kill Blake Wilkins. Sure, I felt like it for a second or two when he told me about him and Kelly, but thinking about it later, I got over it. Guess when a couple splits up, it ain't ever completely one person's fault. I didn't kill him. If you didn't, you'll want to cooperate then. Cooperate? I'm asking you to postpone your trip to Dallas. I want you to keep yourself real handy until this investigation's wound up. All right, Ranger. You'll find me at Moraine. He's got no alibi for any part of last night, Jase. No, he hasn't. There are a couple of things that make me doubt that he killed Blake. What are they? If he did kill Blake, why'd he wait till this morning to take off from his ranch? Well... Another thing. Alva walked out of the Wilkins Ranch house right after Blake arrived. How did he know Blake was going to be out at the shack? Why, Blake told Judd he was going to ride over and talk to Alva. Maybe that's how Alva found out. But we know Blake never got as far as Alva's place. Those horse tracks led right to the shack and stopped there. See, that's right. You think Judd was lying to us, trying to make it look bad for Alva? I don't know. Then there's the matter of motive. You find out, like Alva did, that your daughter split up with a guy and you think it's his fault? You might knock a few teeth loose over it, but as for killing him on account of it, I don't know. Well, speaking of motive, how about Judd? That's just what I'm going to follow up next, Sheriff. See if I can find a motive for Judd Wilkins to kill his half-brother. I checked into the background of the Wilkins family and found out about several instances of friction between the brothers. But Judd had always been envious of Blake. That started me thinking about the father's death and his will. The executor of the estate was a lawyer named Sam Farris. 
Sheriff and I dropped in to see him in his office. Yes, Ranger. The will's in probate, but I'm very familiar with the terms and provisions of it. What are they? It's a sort of a peculiar will. I told old man Wilkins at the time he made it that it might not stand up in court. Had him change it a little, but I'm still not sure it's valid. Of course, it doesn't matter much now, Blake being dead. Uh, incidentally, I suppose you questioned Judd about the shooting? Yeah, I have, Mr. Ferris. Why do you ask? Because of the way the will read. Oh? Just how does it read? Have Blake returned home of his own accord any time during the probate period, the land, the buildings, and the stock were his. Chase? That's very interesting, Mr. Ferris. What provision was made for Judd? He was to get 25% of the profits from the ranch, and if Blake didn't show up before the probate period was up, Judd would get the whole thing. I tried to talk old man Wilkins into setting it up as a trust fund. Boiling it down then, Mr. Ferris, if Blake came back of his own accord, the place was his, and Judd, in effect, would be working for him. Well, that's about the size of it. Well, Chase, that should do it all right. We know Judd was always envious of Blake, so now up pops Blake to take the ranch away from him. Yeah, there's our motive, all right. Mr. Ferris, uh, you got a copy of that will? Yes, but I'm afraid I couldn't turn over my copy to you, Ranger. Okay, we'll look over the original at the courthouse, Sheriff. I want to study that will. We went through the will with a fine-tooth comb. When we returned to the sheriff's office, the autopsy report was lying on his desk. What's it say, Jase? We were all set to arrest Judd Wilkins, weren't we? Still are all set, far as I'm concerned. Why? Looks like there's not going to be an arrest. What are you talking about? We just found out Judd Wilkins had plenty of motive for killing Blake. Sheriff, all the motive in the world doesn't do us any good when the facts are against us. You still can't be in two places at once. I don't follow you, Jase. Look. Tom Billings told us he was with Judd at the ranch house the night of the shooting, from about 9 until quarter of 11. That's right. Wait a minute. You mean that autopsy report Blake says... Wilkins was killed at a shack six miles from the ranch house. And according to this report, the time of death was somewhere between 9 and 9.30. Well, Jase, there goes our case against Judd, then. Right up in smoke. Sure looks that way. If Tom Billings is with him from about 9 to a quarter to 11, it's a cinch Judd couldn't have killed Blake at the shack. So where does that leave us? Right in the middle of nowhere. What are you going to do? Only one thing to do, Sheriff. Go right back to the beginning and start all over again. And the beginning in this case is that shack where Blake was murdered. Jay's hanged if I see what good this is doing us. We've gone over this shack just like we did before. You had me hold my hand up again, you sighted along it to the bullet hole in the wall... And we're still no further along than we were. I know it, Sheriff. Only thing I can figure is that we don't have all the facts in the case yet. Maybe somebody else we don't know about shot Blake. I think we've already got all the important facts, Sheriff. But facts are funny things. You've got to put them together in the right combination to get the right answer. And I think that's where we've gone wrong. But, Jace, I don't see what other combination there is. You've reconstructed this the only logical way it could be. We find Blake lying in front of that open doorway, a bullet hole clean through his head... We know it's line of flight after that because of the bullet hole in the roof by this back wall. Yeah. Right over this shelf of provisions. So where's the mistake in that? I don't know, except there must be something wrong about... Hey. Hey, wait a minute. What is it? Take a look at this sugar bowl, Sheriff. It was right under the bullet hole. I don't see anything the matter with it. Now look at the sugar inside it. Nothing the matter with that either. Yeah. Well, that's the point, Sheriff. Right? Huh? You ever see sugar that's had a little water dropped on it? 
Why, sure, it gets sort of crusty. And stays that way. Yeah, but I... Remember what Tom Billings told us? That the rain stopped about quarter to 11? Blake was shot between 9 and 9.30. That's right, over an hour before it stopped. Jace! Yeah. A bullet hole over the sugar bowl would have let a few drops of rain on the sugar. But the sugar's dry. And there aren't any water stains on the shelf, either. That means that bullet hole on the roof wasn't made until after it stopped raining. It also means we better get back to the Wilkins Ranch house on the double. We headed for the ranch house. Judd was nowhere in sight, which suited me fine at the moment. We eased inside the house. I didn't find what I was looking for in the front room, so we went up into the bedroom. What do you figure on finding up here, Jase? I think I've already found it, Sheriff. That calendar on the wall. Looks like it's hanging mighty high. Yeah. Let's take a look behind it. A bullet hole in the wall, Jase? Yeah. I got my knife here. I'll, I'll dig around it. Yeah, it's in here, all right. Yeah. Here you are, Sheriff. A slug. Well, I'll be. You see? That's where Judd got the idea. He was probably standing on the stairs and shot and killed Blake right here in this room. Then he noticed that the bullet went clear through into this wall. That's why he fired a bullet through the rear of the shack, to make it look like Blake had been killed out there. You mean all the time Tom Billings was downstairs with Judd that night, Blake's body was lying right up here in the bedroom? That's just what I mean. Judd must have shot Blake around 9 o'clock, then called Billings over to the house right afterward as a cover. Then after Billings left at a quarter to 11... Judd cleaned up the room and took the body out to the shack on horseback. Yeah. I thought those hoof marks were cut down awful deep, even for wet ground. That horse was carrying double, Judd and Blake's body. After he placed the body, he probably walked along that gravel to the gully and doubled back to the ranch on foot. He was sure trying to pull a fast one on us. He almost got away with it, too. Well, reckon we got a Hold case... Hard the door close. Nobody down there in the living room. Come on, Sheriff. Reckon Judd could have come in without us hearing him? Maybe. We'll take a look in the kitchen. Yeah, the kitchen's empty, too. Let's look out the back door. There he is, Jace, running for the car shed. Come on. Judd! Hold it! Stop where you are! Hey, he ducks around the corner of the car shed. Corral's back there. He might be trying for a horse. We'll see as soon as we get around this corner. Sheriff. Shot came from the bunkhouse. Probably ducked in there to get a gun. Judd, this won't do you any good. Come on out of there. He's gone plumb crazy trying to shoot it out with both of us. Judd, I'll give you just one minute to come out of that bunkhouse with your hands in the air. You want me to come in here and get me, Ranger? I don't have to, Judd. I'm going to send for you. <laughs> I circled around the ranch house to my car in front, got something out of it, and crawled back to the sheriff. A tear gas bomb. Yeah. This is your last chance, Judd. Here's my answer, Ranger. Okay. Here's mine. Hey! Come on, Sheriff. Let's ease up closer. You'll be coming out of that door any minute now. Tear gas. Ranger, you... I'll take this side of this door, Sheriff. You take the other. I can't see. I can't see. I'll take that gun. By you. I, 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 oh, my eyes. Yeah, they'll clear up. 
You're under arrest, Judd. I, I... You had a pretty neat scheme figured out, Judd. But you got tripped up by a little bowl of sugar. Sugar? Yeah. I'll bet you'll hate that word sugar for the rest of your life. You know, Sheriff, I got a strong hunch that isn't going to be very long. Judd Wilkins was tried and convicted of the murder of his brother, Blake. On the morning of June 16, 1945, in the state penitentiary at Huntsville, he was executed in the electric chair. Next week, Joel McRae in another authentic reenactment of a case from the files of the Texas Rangers. Joel McRae is currently seen starring in the Universal International Technicolor production, Frenchie. Tonight's cast included Tony Barrett, Lamont Johnson, Bill Johnstone, Stacey Harris, Rye Billsbury, and Wilms Herbert. This story was transcribed and adapted by Bob Reif, and the program was produced and directed by Stacey Keach. Hal Gibney speaking. Three chimes mean good times on NBC. Here is a special announcement. Two weeks from tonight, that's Sunday, March 4th, Tales of the Texas Rangers will relinquish its time period for one week only so that you can hear a full hour-and-a-half dramatization of Shakespeare's immortal Hamlet, presented by Theatre Guild on the air. It's radio's most exciting dramatic event when John Gielgud, Pamela Brown, and Dorothy McGuire bring the pages of Hamlet to life on Theatre Guild on the air. Sunday, March 4th. But listen again next week at this same time for another exciting adventure starring Joel McRae in Tales of the Texas Rangers. Now the $64 question. Tomorrow, hear the Boston Pops on NBC. The National Broadcasting Company presents... Joel McRae in Tales of the Texas Rangers. Tonight transcribed from Hollywood, another authentic reenactment of a case from the files of the Texas Rangers. Tales of the Texas Rangers starring Joel McRae as Ranger Jace Pearson. Texas, more than 260,000 square miles and 50 men who make up the most famous and oldest law enforcement body in North America. Now, from the files of the Texas Rangers come these stories based on fact. Only names, dates, and places are fictitious for obvious reasons. The events themselves are a matter of record. Case for tonight, The Trap. It is 1.10 a.m., May 17th, 1948. 
The highway across a barren and thinly populated portion of West Texas is deserted, except for a truck and trailer pushing steadily westward toward El Paso. Boy, that nap felt good. Sure were snoring. I could barely hear the motor. How long was our sleep? Since 8 o'clock last night. Almost 1 a.m. now. How are we doing? We'll be in El Paso by 6. We're right on schedule. You want me to take the wheel? No. no. Wait till we gas up at Frito Junction. It's only another 50 miles. Okay. Yeah, I sure will be glad to get home and see my wife. <laughs> you called a long distance when we stopped for supper. Yeah. But I'm not an old-timer like you. This is our first baby we're expecting. You already got four. Yeah, don't let me kid you, Sims. You feel the same way about all of them, no matter how many you have. What are you hoping for? Oh, just a healthy kid, I guess. That's all. Although, I'd kind of like a little girl. You get one, you'll have a real picnic. Girls are born smarter than we are. My youngest one. She can work me over for anything she wants faster than a quarter horse can get moving. <laughs> you don't look like you're feeling any pain from it, Grover. <laughs> I ain't, I ain't. It's a big kick, getting them things they want. Yeah, but don't get me wrong, I'm just as fond of the three boys, too. Yeah. But, well, a girl does get under your skin a little more. They're, oh, they're more affectionate, like. Boy grows up and you want to kiss him. <laughs> He kicks up his heels. You get to be eight, nine years old, the closest you get to him is shaking hands, you know what I mean? Sure, sure do. <laughs> I guess we were the same with our folks. I wouldn't trade them for anything, though, boys or girls. And in your own blood, you... Well, you'll find out, Sims. You got a lot of fun and living ahead of you. They'll worry you when they get sick, and they'll break your heart when they get kid troubles that you can't help them with, but... Nothing you'll ever have will mean as much to you as your young'uns. <laughs> I've been worrying about mine already, and she... He? <laughs> well, whatever it is, ain't even <laughs> here yet. I keep wondering if I'll be able to make it. You know, bring him up, educate him, help him to be somebody. Yeah, that's something else you'll worry about with each new one. Man, I'm so scared now, I think I'll just settle for one kid and leave it at that. <laughs> that's what I said 12 years ago with our first, but you'll change your mind. Yeah, I guess so. Mary says that she hey, wants... Hey, hey, Huh? What's that ahead? Where? Oh, somebody waving a red lantern. We must be coming to that narrow bridge over Lannan's Creek. Well, you suppose it's been washed out again by a flash flood? Yeah, it could be, although it don't look like there's been any rain here since we started the haul east four days ago. Just the same. They got it blocked. Yeah. Look, Grover, they put up a detour sign. Yeah, it probably wants us to go to the left end of the old road. No, sign points to the right, and the fellow with the lantern is waving us that way. Yeah, I guess he knows what he's doing. Don't look like much of a road this way, does it? Oh, it's going to be mighty rough going. I hope this don't last too long. Hey, this ain't even a road. Oh, it's just a little dead-end turnoff. That guy must have been crazy sending us in here. Backing this rig out is sure going to be a job. Ah, what a dumb trick. I'm going to walk back and ask him what in the name of blazes made him turn us off this way. I'll come with you. You'd think they'd have a highway patrol car stationed there to... Wait a minute. What's the matter? Look by the road. Guy with the lamp is moving that detour sign. Get back in the truck, quick. What is it, Grover? What's wrong? It's like a hijack. Get it rolling backwards and don't mind what you hit. Just keep going. Grover! Grover! Hey, don't shoot anymore! Don't shoot! He's hurt! You can take him! I said you could take everything. You didn't have... Mary... Mary, my kid. <laughs> <laughs>
9 p.m. the following night, the bodies of Warren Grover and Luther Sims were discovered and the sheriff notified. He called for help from the Texas Rangers. Ranger Jace Pearson was assigned. Here are the bodies, Jace. Must have been dragged into the brush when the truck was stolen. Lucky thing Mr. Archer here found them. Mighty lucky. Could have been here for days. How'd you happen to come across them, Mr. Archer? Well, it weren't me. One of my kids found them. We uh, pulled off the highway, fixing to make camp for the night. Boy was gathering wood for the fire. Then out of yelp and come legging out of here like a scared jackrabbit. You make a habit of camping out at night with your family? There ain't nothing much a man can do about it when he ain't working. Them motels and places cost money. Where do you come from? Up Arkansas way. We're heading for California. Migratory workers, huh? Mm. You can talk to his family later if you want, Jace. I let Archer pull his car into a clearing up the highway about 200 yards the other side of the bridge. He didn't want to keep the kids around here. Eh, if you ain't got nothing else to ask me, I'd like to get back to my wife, Crumb Shaky. All right, go ahead. But when you get to the car, stay put. Well, I ain't got no place special to go. Thank you. You got a flashlight, Jace? Mine's about to peter out. Yeah. There, you can give your batteries a rest. You say they were due in El Paso at 6 this morning, eh? Yep, was on schedule, too, until they got here, I reckon. Made their supper stop on time last night. The company checked back. When'd you get the request to look for the truck? Got the description and license number early this afternoon when they was overdue and nobody had heard from them. Company figured if they'd had a breakdown, they'd have called in. According to their schedule, they should have reached this spot a little after midnight last night. And whoever took that truck had plenty of time to get a long ways from here with it before sunup. Not much chance of anybody spotting them. That's right. We'd better take a look around. I've been all over the ground between here and the highway, but I guess it won't hurt to look again. Condition my light was in, I might have missed something. I can show you where they were when they dropped bloodstains on the ground out here. Yeah, I saw them. Right where the truck was. Stains aren't far from the tire marks. They're funny tires, Jace. Different pattern right smack down the center of them. Well, no, those inside tracks were made by Archer's car when he drove in. Covered part of the truck marks. Boy, this place is rutted. He'd fall right into the same track. <laughs> I didn't think of that. Ah, here's something. What is it? Cartridge shell. Look at it. 45 caliber army automatic. Oh, and here's another one. Well, we won't have to wait for an autopsy to tell us what the murder weapon was. Hey, I just thought of something. What? That 45 army automatic. There's an army camp about 40 miles further on, j just 10 miles this side of Frito Junction. I'm afraid that won't help us, Sheriff. Number marking on these shells is a 17. That's the old 1917 ammunition series, World War One. No camp would be using ammo that old. Uh, too bad, I... Thought for a minute we might have a fast lead. You arranged to have the bodies moved? Yep, sent my deputy to town for an undertaker. Good. Let's walk out to Archer's car, talk to his wife and kids. There's one thing I don't understand, Jace. Why did they pull their truck off the road? A trucker riding alone might do it to grab some sleep, but not a scheduled rig with two drivers. I can't figure that either. Archer's car's up this way, other side of the bridge. Might as well leave your car right where it is, not much of a walk. Sure. Hold it, Sheriff. What is it? This mark just off the road shoulder here. Hmm. Sort of a circle in the dirt. Yeah. And whatever made the circle was wet and kind of oily. What do you suppose made it? Well, it would make an oily, round impression that size. Oh, I don't know. Unless maybe it was a lantern. That's what it was, all right. And here's something else. Four small rectangular marks in the earth. Base of each mark about two by four. Well, I can't figure that. 
Unless somebody had a table out here. I don't think it was a table. Another thing that would make four-mark space like that's a wooden sawhorse. Say, did this bridge ever wash out? Sometimes, when there's a flash flood. Hey, I see what you're aiming at. When there is a flood, Highway Patrol sets up a detour sign. Sends traffic through that road over across the highway. When that happened last? Oh, not in a couple of months. Now, these marks aren't that old. Somebody detoured that truck into the dead-end road on this side. Lantern and Sawhorse were setting here until they were moved onto the road to set up a block. They must have had that particular truck pegged then. Came through at a time when there isn't much traffic between the last town to the east and Frito Junction. Come on, let's talk to Archer. You got a list of the cargo the truck was carrying? Told my deputy to wire a request for it after we found the truck had been stolen. It'll come through to my office. Good, because we'll have to track this down through cargo. I got a hunch that the truck has been emptied and ditched by now. Archer didn't know any more than he'd already told us, and his wife and three pale, undernourished kids couldn't add anything. We waited until the bodies were picked up and then headed back for town. The next morning, there was a wire from the trucking company waiting at the sheriff's office. A list of the missing truck's cargo. Here's a report on the cargo, Jace. Valued at $39,000. Let's see. A shipment of automobile radios, huh? Well, that's a break. Why? Because they all have serial numbers. It'd be a lot of work if they try and change the numbers, and if they don't, one of the sets will turn up sooner or later. Yeah, but they didn't send the numbers through to us, Jace. Just a set make and model. I'm radioing my headquarters to get them. Come on. Austin can contact the manufacturer and have him send a complete list of the serials through. Then they can distribute the list to all law enforcement agencies on a statewide bulletin. We don't stand much chance of cracking this if we have to wait for a hot car radio to turn up. Don't worry. We're not going to wait. We've got plenty of other things to do. How many deputies you got handy? Three. How about sending them back along the highway? We know where Grover and Sims made their supper stop. I'd like to find out if they made any stops after that, before they were killed. Good idea. As a matter of fact, whoever stole the truck may have turned it around and headed back that way. Killers may have been spotted. It's a chance. On the other hand, maybe I ought to send one man toward Frito Junction in El Paso, just in case the truck kept heading west. Never mind. I'll handle that part of it myself. I'm heading for Frito Junction as soon as I can make that radio call. I put through a request for the serial numbers, then headed for Frito Junction. On the way, I got a radio call from KTXA. The missing truck had always made a regular stop at the mobile gas station in Frito Junction. When I got to the station, I sent for the man who'd been on duty the night the truck was hijacked. Yep, I was on duty night before last, Ranger, but Grover and Sims didn't stop here. I know they didn't. They never got this far. What I want to know is, did you see their truck? The station's right at the crossroads. If the truck came through with somebody else driving it, there's a chance you might have seen it. Ranger, I'd like to help you, but, well, there ain't much business during the night, even though the boss does keep the place open as an accommodation of truckers. I usually stretch out on a cot in the office. If a truck stops, I get up. If it don't, I just hear it go past. Any other stations around here open at night? Nope. The truck Grover and Sims were driving always stopped here, didn't it? Yep. company they drove for has a credit account here. They haul between El Paso and Houston. Well, the tanks are always just about dry when they hit here on the return haul from Houston. I see. You mean the truck would be too low on gas to go much further than this without filling up, providing it came this way? That's right. Thanks. That's a big help. You're welcome, Ranger. Wish I could help more. Grover and Sims were pretty nice guys. That's the trouble with a killing. The wrong people usually get killed. And it sounds like you've got an impatient customer out there. Yep, one of the soldiers from Camp Boulder. Boys are busy on the pumps. I might as well help him. 
Hey, he's got the drive blocked. I'll ask him to back up so you can get your car and trailer out. It's all right. He doesn't seem to want gas. May want directions or someplace. Hey, you got a shop here? Yeah, but you have to pull around the back. You're blocking the ranger's car. Oh, I'm sorry. That's okay. Just want to make sure you can help me. Doesn't seem to be much wrong with that motor. There isn't anything wrong with it. It's in top shape. And what do you want to put it in the shop for? Got a new radio. Thought you might be able to install it for me. You are listening to Tales of the Texas Rangers, starring Joel McRae as Ranger Jace Pearson. We continue now with tonight's case, The Trap, an authentic story from the files of the Texas Rangers. A soldier with a new car radio. It didn't have to mean anything, but it might. The make and model of the set he had matched what I was looking for. I got the serial number from the carton that came in and phoned it through to the sheriff for a fast check against the manufacturer's list. Then I went into the shop to ask a few questions. You'll have to drill holes for the antenna, I guess. Unless you want to wear it in your hat, I will. <laughs> <laughs> Looks like a good set. Yeah. yeah. Pretty expensive. Well, it told me it sells for about 85 bucks. What'd you pay for it? Well, I, uh, I didn't buy it. I made a deal for it, sort of. What kind of a deal? What are you asking me that for, Ranger? Something wrong? I didn't say that. I was just wondering what kind of a deal a fella could get on a car radio. A man you got this from have any others he wanted to get rid of? Well, I, I, I don't think so. He just gave me this for a trade, you know. On what? Something I had that he needed. Uh, look, my pass is only good for a couple hours. I didn't think it'd be this long. Maybe I better let it go, and I'll, I'll come back in next time I'm in town. Okay. I think you better stay around. But my pass, Maybe I... I can get you a little extension of time. What's the camp number? I'll call your commanding officer. Well, what do you want to do that for? Yeah, what's the matter, Ranger? What is it? It's that radio. Grover and Sims were hauling a truckload of auto radios when they were hijacked and killed. What? You telling me that radio's stolen? No, I'm not. Not yet. But I'm waiting for a check on the serial number, and you're not leaving here until I get it. Oh, look, you've got to believe me. The guy gave me that set. Yeah, and you've been pretty evasive about telling me why he gave it to I you. I told you it was a trade. For what? Come on, talk up. Well, I... I can't tell you that. Get me in trouble. If this is one of the sets taken from two murdered truck drivers, you'll be in plenty of trouble unless I know where and how you got it. Sounds like you better tell him, soldier. I got the set in exchange for some gasoline. Gasoline, huh? All right, go ahead. Well, it was night before last. Just after two o'clock, I, I just started guard duty at camp. My post was along the fence by the motor pool from two to four. Hey, Ranger, that's not long after the time you said Grover was... Never mind, Milligan. Go ahead. Well, I... I heard this car stop near the fence. You sure it wasn't a truck? No, no, it was a car. So I, I walked over to the fence where it was parked. I, I sort of gave the challenge, you know, as to who it was. And a man walked up. Said he needed some gas. And you gave it to him, just like that? No, huh? no, no. He, he said he'd pay me for it. I told him it was against regulations. Then he, he said it wasn't for him. He said a couple of women were stranded down the highway in their car. And then he, he said he'd give me a car radio. Oh, well, it seemed like a good deal, so I opened a pump and filled some Jeep cans for him. How many gallons? Twenty-five. And you didn't think there was anything wrong with a trade like that? An $85 radio for 25 gallons of gas? Well, the guy was stuck and asked... How could he be stuck? He was only 10 miles from the station, and it's open all night. Well, maybe he didn't know that. He knew it all right. 
But he didn't want to bring a stolen truck into this station, and he didn't want to get that much gas in cans from a place that might be checked. Look, Ranger, please, I'm up for discharge in a couple of months. Our camp is being deactivated. I don't want to get in bad. You should have thought of that before you started to ladle out government gasoline. What kind of sidearms do you carry at the camp when you do a guard trick? Uh, regulation Army 45. Any 1917 series ammo? None that I ever saw. Are you going to give me a break? I'm not a judge. I can't give breaks. You're the only key I've got to two dead men. I'll call your post and have the MPs pick you up. The gasoline's the Army's business, but this radio is mine if it's stolen property. How could I know it was stolen? Can you describe the man you got it from? No, it was too dark. Besides, besides, there were two men. One of them stayed in the car. It'd help your case a lot if you could tell us what they looked like, even what kind of a car they were driving. Well, it was dark, I tell you. They talked to each other, call each other by name? Well, yeah, yeah. The, the fellow I gave the gas to, he called the other one in the car, and he said, drive up closer, will you, sonny boy? Sonny boy? Well, that's not a name. Probably just a wisecracker nickname. I'm just telling you what I heard. I'm trying to do everything I can to help you. Yeah. Just a minute. Ranger, it's for you, Sheriff. Thanks. Hello, Sheriff. Howdy, Jase. That soldier's radio is on the stolen list, all right. But I got someone when deputies dug up. Grover and Sims did make another stop after they had their supper. At 11.30 the night they were killed. Where? Roadside diner. Just stopped for coffee. At least Sims had coffee there. Told the proprietor that Grover was asleep in the cab of the truck. You talked to the proprietor yourself? Watson know if they had a hitchhiker with them? Any rider they might have picked up? He says no, but he didn't go out to the truck, of course. From what he says, Sims was the only one in the place except for some traveling salesman who was playing the pinball machine. A fellow named Sonny Boy Jensen. Sonny Boy? That's right, Jace. What you getting excited about? Talk to Watson again. Find out what he knows about Sonny Boy Jensen, who he is and where he comes from. Then meet me back at your office. I'll get there as fast as I can roll. <laughs> The army camp was on my way, so I took the soldier with me and turned him over to the camp authorities to be held. I kept a lead foot on the gas pedal as I drove past the bridge in the side road where the truckers had been hijacked and slain. It took me almost two hours to reach the county seat. The sheriff was standing in front of his office as I drove up. Inform KTXA of any change of location. We'll keep in touch. Howdy, Jace. Howdy. What'd you get? Something that might fit. That Jensen's been traveling up and down this highway for years, selling electrical appliances to farmers and ranchers mostly. Men like that would have good market for car radios once that shipment cooled off. He could be our boy, all right. You get any line on where he comes from? Works out of El Paso, mostly. But his home's a small ranch about 150 miles southwest of Frito. Sonny Boy Jensen can't be his real name. No, it's Bertram Jensen. They just call him Sonny Boy. Watson said he left the diner about five minutes after Simpson Grover pulled out. Probably passed him on the highway. Had him all staked out and set up that roadblock. You better climb in. Going to El Paso? No, I'll turn south out of Frito and head for Jensen's ranch. I don't think he'd take that hot merchandise into El Paso. Even if he got there before daylight, he'd run into some traffic, and that's the trucking company's home base. He'd be taking a chance unloading any place in the city. Now, I see what you mean. You better check on him while we're rolling. Unit 10 to KTXA. Unit 10 to KTXA. KTXA. This unit en route to Jensen Ranch near County Line, 150 miles southwest of Frito Junction. 10-4. 
Request check on subject Bertram Jensen, alias Sonny Boy Jensen, El Paso appliance dealer and owner of ranch this unit is headed toward. 10-4. Unit 10, clear. KDXA, I've been thinking, Jace. This couldn't have been a one-man job. Jensen couldn't drive the truck and his car after the hijack? It wasn't a one-man job. The soldier who gave him the gas they needed for the truck said there were two men in the car. Two men with a bad murder rap hanging over them are liable to fight, Jace. They sure are, Sheriff. Better take the safety off your gun right now. There mightn't be time later. Unit 10, go ahead, KTXA. I have a report for you on Bertram Jensen. Low record of Sonny Boy alias. Served three years in federal penitentiary Leavenworth, 1919 to 1921, for theft of army material from government armory. Had accomplice named Dolph Muni, convicted on same charge. No record on either since then. 10-4, Unit 10, clear. KTXA, Austin. That may answer a couple of our questions, Sheriff. Yep. Where Jensen got that Army 45 in the 1917 ammo series, and who his partner was, if you think he might have kept in touch with Dolph Mooney for almost 20 years. There's an old saying, Sheriff, about birds of a feather. It was after dark when we reached the Jensen Ranch. When the door opened, I knew it was Jensen. There were little wrinkles under his eyes, and his temples were gray, but his face held a youthful softness, as some faces do, whether 16 or 60. It wasn't hard to understand why they called him Sonny Boy. Huh. Been a long time since I've seen a ranger around here. You, uh, looking for somebody? Sheriff and I heard you might be able to get us a bargain on a few things. Uh, sure. What are you interested in? Automobile radios. Uh, I got a few in my warehouse in El Paso. Thought you might have something around here. No, I'm, I'm afraid not. Uh, then maybe you know somebody who has. Yeah. No, I, I, I don't know many people. I live alone here. Don't see much of anybody. Had any company this evening? No. Two ashtrays in this room don't agree with you. There's smoldering butts in both of them. So unless you smoke two cigarettes at a time and walk back and forth across the room to put them out, you haven't been alone. Oh, all right. A neighbor's visited me. Is that a crime? No. Where is he? In the kitchen. Call him. Don't go for him. Just call him from here. Uh, Doc? Hey, Doc! What's this Doc business, Jensen? Oh, well, I didn't hear anybody come in. Jensen tells us you've been visiting him. Where are you from? From Borderville. Well, that's about 50 miles from here. Yeah, and Jensen said you were a neighbor. Well, that's right, ain't it? Distance don't mean much in Texas. <laughs> I I just dropped in on Jensen unexpected. Matter of fact, I, I was just washing up, fixing to start for home. Yeah, he he's just leaving. Oh, well, go right ahead. Uh, I'll get your coat. It's in the closet. Here. Oh, uh, before you open that, I'd like to ask your friend a couple of questions. Fifty miles is kind of a long walk, isn't it? Only way to leave this ranch would be in a car, and if you've got one parked outside, we didn't notice it. I was going to lend him mine. Oh, I see. You said you dropped in unexpectedly. How'd you get here without a car? Why, uh, hitched a ride. Somebody dropped me off the gate. Uh-huh. Uh, if you got nothing else to ask me, I, I'd like to be going. Yeah. Imagine you would, but I'm not quite finished. 
Maybe you know where I could get a bargain in an automobile radio. Well, I don't know nothing about radios. It's too bad. I thought you might. All right, Jensen. Give him his coat. By the way, either you heard from Dolph Muni lately? Well, get out of here. You got no right asking questions. You got no warrant. You let us in, Jensen. My story is you broke in, and you ain't going to be able to deny it. Get on that closet shelf, Gates. Don't try that, Jensen. Quick, Sheriff. Kick that gun out of his reach. Got it, Gates. Muni! He drove through the window. Stay with Jensen. I'll get him. Come on, Jensen. Get on. I can see you, Muni. You better stop running before I fire. No sense trying to get in that car. It's locked. That was in the air, Muni. The next one won't be. How about it? All right. All right, don't shoot. Just walk this way with your hands high. I, I had to steal the radios, but I didn't do the killing. I didn't. I was on the highway with a detour sign when Jensen shot him. Don't tell me, Muni. Save that for the court. Where are the radios? In the barn, hidden in bales of powder. We ditched the truck in Amber Lake. All right, Muni. Let's go in and get Sonny Boy. You can make your statement at the sheriff's office. Bertram, Sonny Boy Jensen, and Dolph Muni were found guilty of the hijack murder of truck drivers Warren Grover and Luther Sims. Both were sentenced to death in the electric chair at Huntsville Penitentiary. Each of the convicted men made an appeal for clemency. And in January of 1949, the sentence of Dolph Muni was commuted to life imprisonment. But the petition of Sonny Boy Jensen was denied. And on the morning of February 19, 1949, he was executed... And now, here again is the star of our show, Joel McRae. Folks, we want to thank you for the wonderful letters you've been sending to us and the warm and friendly interest you've always shown toward our show. A lot of you have asked the question, what's the title of the theme music heard on Tales of the Texas Rangers? The music you hear at the opening and closing of our show is the Texas Rangers song, written by Sam Coslow and Harry Bain, and is arranged by Robert Armbruster, the conductor of the NBC Orchestra. We're glad to know that so many of you like it. We do, too. And so, Mr. Armbruster, the Texas Ranger song, if you please. Joel McRae is currently seen starring in the Universal International Technicolor production, Frenchie. Tonight's cast included Tony Barrett, Whitfield Connor, Herb Ellis, Parley Bear, Wilms Herbert, Paul Daboff, and Bill Conrad. This story was transcribed and adapted by Joel Murcutt, and the program was produced and directed by Stacy Keach. Hal Gibney speaking. Three chimes mean good times on NBC. Next Sunday, one week from today, Tales of the Texas Rangers will relinquish its broadcast time to enable you to hear one of the season's most dramatic events, the Theater Guild on the Air, full hour-and-a-half production of Hamlet. And make a note to be back with us for another exciting Tales of the Texas Rangers two weeks from tonight.
Next week, it's Hamlet. In two weeks, another Tales of the Texas Rangers starring Joel McRae. Be sure to listen. Now the $64 question. Tomorrow, hear the Boston Pops on NBC. Thanks for joining us for Tales of the Texas Rangers with Joel McRae. This is your host and storyteller, John Hagedorn. This is 1001 Stories from the Old West. Reviews are always appreciated. Stay safe, everyone, and we'll be back soon.